Good afternoon, saints of the living God, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold and bad opinions, false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host today, Pastor Adam Philippak of Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Filling in for Pastor Wolf Mueller today, and we're on a journey of our imagination into the truth of Christian dogma, believing firmly that when God speaks, he does so with the power to imbue us to speak it back. It's just like St. Paul says, we are to hunger for the truth, to watch our life and our doctrine closely, because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, But to suit their own passions, they will gather teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. You, however, Christian, must hold firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught to you. And so, be able to encourage others. Our guest for today, a brother-in-arms, Pastor Rob Rebau. He is a developer of emerging products at Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Rebau, good to have you on this afternoon, my brother. It is good to be on, Pastor Philip Heck. Uh, it'll be a joy to explore these issues from Francis Pieper today. There is uh, something exhilarating about studying dogmatics, about getting into God's Word and looking at it in a systematic way. I'm looking forward to our time together today. Indeed, as am I. And as you said, we are continuing our journey through Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, and today we're focusing on open questions and theological problems. Now, are there such things? Because up until this point, I mean, Francis Pieper has laid out a pretty tight argument for the fact that even last week, non-fundamental doctrines, that denying those things that are not core and fundamental to the faith actually endanger our faith, and we are to hold fast to Christ's Word. So uh, this title befuddles me a little bit, Pastor Rebau, open questions and theological problems. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it, it's a little bit confusing at first. It reminds me of that old television sitcom that used to describe itself as the show about nothing. I think about uh, Francis Pieper and open questions, and I think, well, we're going to have a show about nothing. Uh, <laughs> but what, what he means is uh, open questions are aren't the well he starts off by saying open questions must not be defined as points of doctrine on which men cannot agree or which the church has left undecided in the symbols by symbols he means confessional writings like the creeds the the Lutheran confessions but it's questions with scripture leaves unanswered so there's things that are completely unanswered by scripture at all. And so in that way, uh, we start to narrow in on what Pieper means by open questions, and uh, it's not a show about nothing. We have something to talk about, and it's important, because we could get, uh, I guess, tangled into open questions, thinking that they're closed, looking for an answer that God doesn't provide. I think that is that is very key, and it, in some degrees, even this topic of open questions can make Christians, I think, feel uncomfortable, because oftentimes we are the ones who are called to give answers, and so we always think that we have to have an answer for everything that's asked of us. And while that is true concerning the core tenets of the Christian faith, while Christians 
vehemently cling to Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins, and we have plenty of answers. These pl- answers tend to center in Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. And so you, you, you get lost sometimes in trying to feel like you either have to give all the answers, or conversely, sometimes you feel like, you know, we all just need to present a unified front to everyone. And so, so there can be no such thing as open questions. So it's, it's good to hear that there is this, this concept of open questions, that there are these, these things that, um, that are spoken of, but yet are not fully articulated in, in Scripture. And we are not to speak where God uh, has not spoken on those issues. So I'll continue then with the, the second paragraph, since you did that first paragraph uh, so well. Francis Pieper writes, the principle that no doctrine can be universally binding until it has gained universal consent deposes Scripture as a source and norm of Christian doctrine. That principle changes Christ's instructions, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you to read, teach them to observe those things for which you can obtain common consent. This is anti-scriptural, an anti-scriptural idea, and is responsible for numerous attempts to bring about church union without unity in Christian doctrine. So there's a lot there that we can we can talk about. The quotation from Matthew chapter 28 and, and how that changes and adheres to the Word of God. He uses some pretty strong language here, Pastor Rebell, about being anti-scriptural. Um, how, how dangerous... Really, is this with when it comes to universal consent on things in the church? Yeah, it, at the end of the day, it is anti-scriptural. It's an attempt to find unity on a norm uh, that is not the norm of Scripture, uh, of saying that, well, as long as we can agree on the really important things, uh, these other things don't really matter. And now here's my list of really uh, of things that aren't important and don't matter. I think this is why Pieper uh, has so diligently narrowed down this topic in this entire chapter 11. He has been carefully stepping through fundamental doctrines, non-fundamental doctrines, until he finally gets down to open questions. Because there are a lot of Christians who, who, who very piously, uh, you know, ourselves perhaps, at times, we, you know, we, we don't want to just argue about things all the time, and that's a pious concern. You know, it's not fruitful to, to simply argue with Christian friends, family members all the time. Um, but uh, at the same time, there are non-fundamental doctrines that are important but not fundamental. Those aren't open questions. Open questions are only those things that Scripture hasn't talked about, those things that that Scripture isn't even interested in answering. And so um, in that way, it's unscriptural to start calling things that are closed, that are answered by Scripture, and and say, no, instead they're actually open just because we don't agree on them. There are a lot of things that we don't agree on, and uh, yet that doesn't mean that they're untrue. I think that this is this is very important because it is really easy to try to obtain, as Pieper said, and as you pointed out, a sort of unity in the Christian church by ignoring what Christ has written and treating even some of the core things, some of the non-fundamental things that 
the Christian churches have, have disagreed about, but yet are set forth by the Word of God. And sometimes you, you see that for the sake of, of unity. We say, well, well, Christian churches say a lot of things about baptism or the Lord's Supper or the end of times or something like that. So, so those are open questions. You can believe what you, you want to believe on those things, and it's okay. Those are open. Is, is that what Peeper means by this? By open question, no, not at all. In fact, he was he very carefully laid out those examples as secondary fundamental doctrines. So, again, it's 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 the precision with which people are speaking. You know, they they want to say, look, I know a lot of people don't agree on this. Um, and, and people are pointing out that yes, there's a that there's a primary fundamental doctrine, things like the personal work of Christ. But there's also secondary fundamental doctrines, things that are just as true, and Scripture does teach something authoritative about them, like, for instance, baptism or the Lord's Supper or, uh, or end times. And they may be secondary fundamental doctrines, but these are different than open questions. Open questions aren't those things that we just can't agree on, open questions are those things that Scripture hasn't taught at all. And I think if we start uh, taking these things that are addressed by Scripture and say, just because we can't agree on them, let's just say they're open questions. What he's saying here by by saying that's not scriptural is um, we're, we're kind of defining this canon within a canon, or this idea that um, God's Word's in there somewhere. If we can just find the places that are the things that are really God's Word, that are really authoritative, then the rest of this is dross. And that's not scriptural. Scripture is clear that all things are profitable for teaching. All things, Christ has commanded us uh, in the Great Commission. He commands us to go and teach all the things that he commanded, not just some of the things or the things that we can agree on. I mean, really, think about it. You take a step back and think about the hubris of saying only those things are true which people can agree on. It's like setting ourselves up as God. Yeah, I, I love what, you, what you're talking about here with the idolatry aspect. The, the truth is not for... For Peeper or from Scripture, which is what Peeper's just echoing, truth is not about what you agree upon. Truth is not something that you arrive at. Truth is given to you. In fact, truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. His word is true. He is the word made flesh, and everything that he says is settled matters of doctrine, whether that be primary or whether that be secondary, you know, the non-fundamentals. There is a truth about baptism. There is a truth about the Lord's Supper. This is the body and blood of Christ. This is the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is my salvation here and now. Jesus will return the resurrection. And while a church may not agree on those things in different churches, those are a matter for uh, for open questions. Those are a matter of, of doctrine and not believing as our word as the Lord says that the Word made flesh actually in those issues endangers your faith, but but those aren't open questions, and you've made that very very clear. That's not what Peeper is talking about at all with those matters. And that's, but that's, that's good. That uh, that somehow like the church councils created Christian doctrine. Instead, the church councils receive Christian doctrine. You know, the church councils recognize Christian doctrine. We, we believe and articulate the Trinity because we recognize the Trinity in Scripture. 
the Trinity came to us through Scripture, for instance. Um, it's not like we got together and decided that the Trinity is the way we're going to go now, and because we've all decided on this, it makes it true. No, no, we receive the doctrine that's given to us, and the, the fount of doctrine, of course, is the Scriptures. It comes to us by uh, the Scriptures. It, comes, it is, as you said, the person and work of Jesus Christ who, who has revealed himself to us in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is there, we shall be also. Continuing on with these um, different uh, thoughts of open questions, Peter's going to define for us in the next section what an open question is, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute here. But any concluding thoughts? We've got a couple seconds here before we, before we go to break. Uh, just that uh, Piper is, is apt to point out that in our day, and it was his day, it's a little while ago, some Lutheran theologians have set up the strange principle that any article may be treated as an open question, binding to no one so long as the Church has not decided the matter in its symbols. So, you know, it, we know what the Lutheran confessions are. Listeners of this program are, are have become pretty familiar with them. And what he's saying here is that just because it's not in the confessions doesn't mean it's not true. Um, we may not find the issue of, say, women's ordination addressed, maybe, in the confessions. Uh, that doesn't mean that Scripture doesn't have something to say about it. And yet uh, there are Lutherans who will say, well, it's not in the confessions, so it's an open question. That's exactly what Peter's dealing with here. No, just because it's not in the confessions doesn't mean it's an open question. It just may not have been an issue decided at the time of the writing of the Confessions, or an Excellent. issue that was at, at controversy at that time that needed an answer, is what I mean. Excellent. Thank you, Pastor Rebo. We'll pick more up on this after the break. More open questions with Pastor Rebo and Pastor Philippek. We'll see you after the break. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Hi, this is Bart Dave, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. I wanted to take a moment today to say thank you to all the faithful servants of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Church Extension Fund family is proud to support the individuals, congregations, schools, and other organizations of the Synod who carry on the great work of the Lutheran Reformation. In honor of Reformation 500, we recognize you and your service. We are proud to be a part of such a steadfast legacy. May God continue to richly bless you. Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, has written, The meaning of life is found in the source of life. What does he mean by that? We'll find out Friday on Issues Etc. when we talk with him about the good life. We'll review the movie A Wrinkle in Time with Pastor Ted Geese, and we'll talk media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. 
1924, we embraced the new technology of that day. Radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, listeners, to Cross Defense, breaking down the strongholds of bad opinions and false doctrines of the enemy and setting up shop for the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. Again, I'm Pastor Philippek, and my guest today, Pastor Rebau, and we are working our way through Francis Pieper, discussing open questions and theological problems. Pastor Rebau, I'm just going to pick up on Pieper where we had left off. I'm going to read the next two paragraphs here. We can talk about what it is that he means precisely by open questions, which you have given us a good introduction to. Pieper writes, In our day, some Lutheran theologians have set up a strange principle that any article may be treated as open question, binding no one, so long as the Church has not decided the matter in the symbols. That is, in reality, the same Romish air which Luther rejects in the familiar statement, the Christian Church, therefore also the Lutheran Church, has no power to set up a single article of faith and has never done so and never will do it. That's volume 19 of Luther's works. It is practically the position taken in the Dorpet opinion of 1866. It is a plain disavowal of the scriptural principle. Correctly defined, open questions are such questions as inevitably arise in our study of scriptural doctrines, but are not answered by scripture at all or at least not clearly. As Scripture enjoins us to them, they remain open questions. If we presume to answer them and ask men to accept our opinion as divine truth, we would be rejecting those Scripture passages which forbid us to add anything to God's Word. Every true theologian must learn not only to speak, but also to keep silence. He should speak where, and as far as God's Word speaks, he should hold his tongue where God's word is silent. He who has not learned this art of silence and dares speak where God's word is silent is condemned by Jeremiah in chapter 23, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. He should study also First Timothy Six, verse three, Pastor Reba, I'm going to stop us right there. First Timothy, chapter six, verse three. I'll just kind of make that reference for our listeners um, that they may also have it handy. Timothy writes, "If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings in accordance with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing." Those are some pretty strong words. Any thoughts or comments on this section, Pastor Reba? There's a lot here about a theologian learning silence who are speaking only as far as God speaks in his word and no further. Uh, there's the definition of open questions, as you have stated here. Anything that you want to address specifically as we're working our way through Francis Pieper? 
Yeah, there's there's two things that pop out here that I think are important to focus on. The first thing is just to ask ourselves the the own introspect the introspective question: What are we doing when we seek to close questions that God's Word has left open? And um, Peeper Peeper drives home the point here by 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 pulling out the condemnation of the prophets upon us, as if we were to try and seek to close the questions that God has left open. Who are we? What do we think we're doing when we're trying to close those open questions? But the second thing is uh, the remainder of that First Timothy 6, 3. It's a, and, and Peter, uh, as he often does, just gives us 6, 3 and following. What's interesting is the remainder of verse 4 there. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard over the years... uh, these words leveled against people like Francis Pieper. People will say, oh, Francis Pieper, he is, uh, he is just too narrow. He is too interested. And I consider he, he listed things like baptism as a secondary but a fundamental doctrine. He is just, he must love arguing with people. And of course, uh, what he's pointing out here is that Scripture actually points us to the opposite. It's not those things that are clearly taught in Scripture that we should be uh, strong about and teach about firmly. It's those things that Scripture doesn't say, that we get bound up in and argue over uh, things that where Scripture doesn't speak. Those are the places where we should avoid, and those are the things that we should not argue about or get in dis- dissensions about. I think you're right on so point the, there with that. Go ahead, open going. questions then are called those theological problems, right? So they're, they're things that, once again, the open question is the question that Scripture doesn't answer. And I think he's going to finally give us a couple of examples so that we can really get our teeth into what, what is an open question. It sounds like there are a lot of closed questions, but what's an open question? And he will get into that very pointedly, but it is a good reminder that you have given us through Francis Pieper that where our Lord speaks, where the doctrine is accurate, clear, and proclaimed, we must never depart. For in departing from the word of Christ, we abandon the truth for the lies of the devil. And so it is vital that we hold to the word of our Lord Jesus Christ accurately and truly, in secondary and in primary doctrines, lest we endanger our faith. And it even sounds like these, these matters of going after closed questions of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you go after, I only gave three small examples, baptism, Lord's Supper, and, uh, and the end of times. And I use uh, small examples tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Those are, those are pretty big examples where our Lord has spoken. But to go after them and to act as if they are not closed... Um, is quite frankly based upon First Timothy, um, quite quite devilish. 
and what I mean by that is the devil works in that very way. He wants Christians to be distracted going after arguing over issues that have already been closed by God so that the gospel does not get proclaimed, so that the truth and the purity of the gospel does not go forth. And we do. We need to adhere to the word of Christ as his church where he is clear. But then there are also these other issues that we'll speak of that are open issues. I don't know if if you've encountered this or not. This is a small example. This is not from Dr. Keeper, but I, I get this all the time when I'm teaching my life in Christ class, the the overview of Christian doctrine, things like that. Uh, We get to descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We even get to the descendants of Adam. And I think some of these open-ended questions might be able to be got at through Genesis chapter 5 a little bit. So Genesis chapter 5, we get reintroduced to Adam's children, right? And oftentimes when we go through this section in in our class, you have this when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. He named him Seth, and the days of after Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. The days of Adam were that he lived were 930 years, and he died. And that's the same formula throughout, other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters, and he died, and he died. And oftentimes, these, these secondary questions, these open questions, rather, they come up in this way. Well, how many other sons and daughters? Who were they? What, what were their names? This is a perfect example of where Scripture is is silent, because it's not vital to the story. Yes, they had other children. Yes, we we know that. Yes, they they had all kinds of things going on there, but that's not important to the story. Actually, if you if you trace that instance all the way to Luke, uh, you'll see that the genealogy in Genesis chapter five matches Luke's genealogy for Jesus, so that you actually get this picture at the end of the day. The reason that these names are recorded for you and not everybody else's even though you may want to know him, is because this pertains to your salvation. Jesus Christ came from this line. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you have life in his name. So, so there are open questions of Scripture that we, that we run into. Any, any other thoughts on, on that? Yeah, you're right. It's the, it's the purpose statement of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, we are given these things because they bring us to Jesus. And, you know, it's a reminder that, as Pieper points out, we're not saying that the non-fundamental doctrines are open questions. So historical, geographical, archaeological statements of Scripture, uh, they are true. And they're non-fundamental. They're doctrines. They, they, aren't, uh, they don't pertain specifically to our salvation. That is, that Adam had other children. That's, a, that's perhaps a historical uh, or archaeological, perhaps, uh, a statement that, that, that's true. Um, but who are they? You know, we, we're left with all these questions, and these are, these are the, the, the primary open questions. These are the beginning. You know, um, what was God doing before creation? Things like that. Uh, well, we don't know, and really we don't need to know. And if we speculate on those things, not only are we off-topic, as people points out, it can be dangerous. Uh, becoming an expert in things that God hasn't spoken about and, and to make that into our theological discourse uh, leads us away from what God did speak about. And what did God speak about? It's, it, you summarized it with that purpose statement of the Bible from the Gospel of John there. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. God gave us Scripture uh, to 
give us Jesus. God gave us Jesus through the Scripture. It's not to answer every single question that we may have about uh, about God and about theology. Martin Chemnitz says it this way, and I, I love how, how he articulates this, that those open-ended questions in Scripture, I'm going to use Peeper's words here, and then here's Chemnitz's quote, we'll have to reserve those for the heavenly school. That there are things that, that will be revealed to us and that we will know perfectly, but they're not vital to the story, to God's message of salvation for us in Jesus Christ. How many children? What was God doing beforehand? So there, there are open questions. These are perhaps a bit more trivial uh, of questions than what Peeper will get into. There are actually some significant questions that uh, that we're going to, to deal with here in just a minute of open questions that the Christians tend to get stuck in and ask, at least in, in my pastoral experience, quite frequently. Uh, but these are some, some nice introductions to those things. And people said before our eyes that where Scripture is clear, where Christ speaks, the church, his beloved bride whom he has washed and cleansed by his own precious blood, adorning us in our garment of salvation, our wedding dress, our baptismal gown, the robe of righteousness that covers all our sins. The church must adhere to her Lord's word. She must speak boldly and firmly where he speaks, but she must not go so far as to speak something our Lord has not said and make our conjectures his divine truth. I think you called it idolatry. And so yeah, it is. I mean, if we're setting ourselves up as as the one who's going to answer the open question, uh, who are we? What are we doing? What are we playing there? We're becoming those prophets who speak false, falsely, what uh, putting words into God's mouth, trying to to make God answer questions that He hasn't answered in Scripture. I think a lot of times, at least in my experience, sometimes these questions come from very well-meaning places. I don't think I've encountered a whole lot, I'm trying to rack my brain really quickly, of people who have said, well, you know, I'm going to say this so that I look um, very smart and erudite and things like this, or I'm going to say this um, because this is going to be my word rather than God's word. Usually when you encounter these things, it it comes from places where, where Christians are, are well-meaning, where they're trying to provide an answer for a question that might be posed that, that would be problematic, a detriment to the faith. And so rather than, than, than leave it open-ended, sometimes even well-meaning Christians give an answer that is not in accordance with the Word of God. It it's, does not adhere, and we would do well by Peeper's advice to simply state the obvious, which we'll get to in a minute. I don't know. Christ does not say and so with, with that, we'll uh, get into some of those open questions with, with uh, Dr. Pieper here. So he writes, open questions may also be called theological problems. If such problems are meant as cannot be solved on earth because God has not given the solution in Scripture, a theologian may with a good conscience reply to many questions with an, I do not know. We cannot, for instance, answer the question of how sin could originate, seeing that all creatures, including the angels, were originally created very good. Another open question, is the soul of each individual created by God immediately, creationism, or immediately through the parents, transducianism? 
In the list of the problems which cannot be solved in this life, her Ali Ali non questions. Latin he gives us here. Uh, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more. It usually comes at us in this day in the Latin of Cur Ali E, Pray Ali Is. Why are some saved and not others? But this question occupies a prominent place. How shall we account for the fact that, as the formula of Concord puts it, one is hardened, blinded, given over to a reprobate mind, while another, who is indeed in the same guilt, is converted again. The formula of Concord warns against any attempt to solve this question of the crux teologorum, the the theological cross, the, the problem of the cross, right, in this life and in the life to come. In short, all theologians who attempt to answer the real open questions in theology or solve real theological problems, A, disagree with Scripture because they refuse to abide by 1 Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Or B, are unscholarly because they pretend to know what they cannot know. The knowledge of Christian truth is obtained only by continuing in the Word of Christ. Whatever is palmed off as Christian knowledge, alongside the sound word of our Lord Jesus Christ, is nothing but conceit and ignorance. Pastor Reba, we only have a minute or so before the break here. Any thoughts or comments briefly just on this before we take a break and then really come back to this and and treat this at length? Sure. Uh, I don't think a lot of our listeners are probably struggling with the creation of the soul. Uh, but a few of these others are important. I just wanted to make a comment there that Pieper calls the creation of the soul creationism when it's created by God, and it's it's good to note that he means something different by that word creationism than we do today. He's not saying that creationism versus perhaps evolution evolution is is an open question. He's talking about the origin of the soul. Does the soul come straight from God, or does God use parents to bring the soul into at the point of conception? And uh, I thought we should just clear that up before the break to make sure there's no confusion there. I greatly appreciate that. I think I want to spend a bulk of our time in that weird Latin phrase, cur alae, pre alae, why some and not others after the break. But we'll take a break, dear Christians. Stick back with us as we continue breaking down the strongholds of our Lord and establishing His Word. A long-standing tradition here at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUO. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, where Reverend Dr. Dennis Caston presides as senior pastor. Our 1045 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri, where Reverend Timothy Ostermeyer presides as senior pastor. Come worship with us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. 
Saint Teresa of Calcutta, considered one of the greatest humanitarians of the 20th century, received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. In 1946, Mother Teresa petitioned the Catholic Church to let her leave the convent to which she'd been assigned to work among the poor in the slums of Calcutta, a new congregation which became known as the Missionaries of Charity, just the beginning of her work among the poorest of the poor in India. At her death in 1997, there were more than 4,500 Missionaries of Charity and hundreds of missions in more than 100 countries. Mother Teresa wrote about her philosophy of charity. Quoting Matthew 25, she said, Christ said, I was hungry and you gave me food. He was hungry not only for bread, but for the understanding of being loved, of being known. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back, dear saints of the living God, to Cross Defense as Pastor Rebow and I continue to work our way through Francis Pieper, dealing with open questions and theological problems. Those things which our Lord has not spoken of in Scripture or not given a solid answer of, those small, different details that we want to know, but sometimes we're just not given to know because Scripture's purpose is very clear. These things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in Him, we may have life in His name. Still breaking down the strongholds and bad opinions, establishing the Word of our Lord firmly in our hearts. Pastor Reba, before the break, we had mentioned what I consider a very difficult problem that I have actually encountered quite consistently throughout my years of pastoral ministry. This Latin phrase, cur alei, pray aleis. Why is it that some are saved and not others? This was listed in the number of three questions that Francis Pieper gave us for open questions. Why, why is that an open question? What's, what's behind all this? Um, this, what he called it, the crux teologorum, the, the problem of the cross. What's what's wrapped up into this? Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this open-ended question that we often struggle with? Sure. I think first of all, it was it, it's 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 nice how Pieper says it. It's a question that occupies a prominent place. It is perhaps the one of the stickiest open questions, and it's created division in Christianity by uh, attempts to solve this open question, to give an answer to the question, why are some saved and not others? And yet, Scripture leaves us with a problem. It says that God desires all men to be saved, and yet they're not. We know that at the end of time, there will be those who are not saved, who will be the goats and not sheep. And so why doesn't God get what he wants? We're left with this problem. If we solve this problem in, in one direction, uh, we come up with basically the idea of Calvinism, that, well, because God just decided at the beginning of time that these people are outside of, of salvation, so we deny them universal grace. They, they just can't be saved. Or we end up with uh, semi-pelagianism or synergism. Well, salvation ultimately 
requires a little bit of us. And those people that aren't saved, it's because they didn't contribute their piece of the puzzle. They didn't make a decision for Jesus, or they didn't do the good works, or they didn't respond correctly to the gospel. Uh, and so the, the, the challenge is Scripture is clear. God desires all men to be saved. God is the one who does the saving. God is the one who, who, who saves people by His grace through faith alone. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives faith through the preaching of the Word, through the administration of the sacrament. And yet some people are baptized, they hear the Word of God their entire life, and yet they reject it. They're responsible in the sense that they're the ones who have rejected it. But why didn't God get what He wanted? That's the open question. And it is. It's it's a it's a difficult thing that we live with on a regular basis, right? I mean, how many times in your years as a pastor, Pastor Reba, have you had somebody come up to you um, and say, "Hey, what about you know my my children, my my grandchildren, my my friend, my spouse? You know, they they were baptized, they heard the word of the Lord, but now they just they they don't come and they don't want anything to do with it, and it seems like." They're 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 wandering away from this. Why, why me and not them? And this question strikes a, at the heart of, of who we are. And well-meaning theologians, like you said, Calvin and Arminius, have tried to answer that. I, I kind of think that we are very very uncomfortable uh, with with open questions on this, and that oftentimes the the way that Christians approach this is is I've got to deal with this so that it doesn't destroy my faith or your faith, so I've got to create an answer to this. Um, here seems like a logical conclusion. That, that seems to be sometimes the way that we approach it. But is, is a logical solution here um, the answer? Is that what Peeper is getting at, or is there something else? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an open question. It's a question that when we try to use our human logic or, or our human reason to try and resolve the problem in one direction or another, we're just speaking where Scripture hasn't spoken. We know that salvation is God's, belongs to God, God is the one who gets the credit, and um, yet, yet we see that God, not everyone is saved. Not everyone is going to be saved, even though God desires that all men uh, come to the truth. Pastor Rebo, you're not giving me an answer. Are you telling me this is an open question? No, no, you, you're, you're, you're good. You, you're right. I mean, to give a little bit of guidance to, to our, our listeners, right? It, the, the question behind it is, what, what can I do in these situations to, to those who have fallen away from the faith? And you so masterfully said both areas where God speaks clearly. There is a clear area uh, in both of these in both of these these topics, why um, do some, you know, end up in hell? Well, because they reject the word of God, right? Because what Scripture says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you have not been willing." And so, in one sense, the rejection of God's word is is placed on on us, uh, and in in another sense, Scripture says, it is by grace that you have been saved. This is not of yourself. This isn't something you do. This is not about, you know, being 
predisposed to listening to the word of God or God looking at your life and saying, oh, he'll, he'll make a good choice. This isn't about you choosing. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you in the waters of baptism. I've marked you with my cross, and my, and my salvation and life have been given to you there. You've died with me. You've risen with me. But we also know quite clearly in this line, one thing also remains true. And this is, this is the, the, the problem, I guess, that we're running into here with this open question of Mark chapter 4, where the farmer sows the seed, he scatters it, but what control does he really have over its growth? That's right. He doesn't. You know, a lot of people that have struggled with this, uh, but in my experience over the years, it's, it's tempting for us to want to find our rest and our security in the salvation of a loved one. You know, rather than trying to find rest and security and knowing that a loved one has been saved, rather we should just find our rest and security in Christ and simply entrusting in Him. Especially in the case of a loved one, maybe a wayward child, uh, you look back at those objective things in their life. Are they baptized? Well, trust their baptism. Don't give up on them calling them to repentance or calling them to faith or, uh, if, you know, especially if they've, they've voiced their rejection. A lot of times these things aren't that severe, though. Parents are just worried about their child because they don't go to church anymore. It certainly is, a, a, it certainly is concerning, and it certainly is something that, that needs to be addressed. But at the same time, don't try to put your faith in their faith. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in the things that Christ has given to you objectively. Trust in his objective work in your life, his objective work in their life, and call them back to those objective things that he has given to them. Call them back to their baptism. Remind them who they are and what Christ has done for them in that act. Uh, rather than try to find security in something that, uh, that you can't see anyway, you can hear their confession, you can see their baptism. But um, you, you can't you can't have faith in their faith. I think you have said said it so well. Oftentimes we go seeking comfort in something that is not where comfort is to be found. We need to seek our comfort in Christ and His Word because that is the only thing that breaks down the strongholds of opinions and false notions. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, and the Spirit is living and active in the Word of Christ. So you have spoken well to encourage our listeners to not be timid in reminding them of the objective things of our Lord. He did not give us a spirit of timidity that we should shrink back, but rather we should proclaim the whole counsel of God, calling those to repentance and pointing them to the only truth, the only way, Jesus Christ our Lord. No other name given among heaven, by, uh, given under heaven among men by which we are saved than that of Jesus Christ our Lord, the Word made flesh. There is hope. The hope is not found in their faith. The hope is found in the true and certain words of our Lord. Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we get stuck on um, abstract problems, too, right? And this comes into that question. People always ask this in new members' classes or uh, in many different times. They're thinking about God and theology, and they say, well, what about that 
person in, and they name a country where they assume the gospel hasn't penetrated. Um, you know, it, it, I almost feel like saying sometimes, well, what about that person? You know, what's more interesting is the person you know. Have you, have you talked to them? Have you loved the neighbor you know, not worried about the abstract neighbor you've never met? Right? I mean, we have this gift this uh, of the good news of Jesus Christ, and we can bring it to the neighbors we know. And we can do the work among the people we know. We can love the neighbors we know, and rather than worry about the abstract idea of a neighbor we've never met and whether or not they're going to be saved. Rather, why not worry about the person who's right next to you, the person that you can uh, love today by telling them about the love that Christ has for them and that the life that he poured out for them when he poured out his life for the world, the forgiveness of sins that comes through his cross. Why not deliver that to someone you know rather than worry about the abstract question of the person you've never met? And you see, I think it's in that way that Peeper is telling us about the danger of the open question because it's not answered. And if we're speculating about the open question about this person in this country that's never heard about Jesus, are they going to be saved? What's the point? Why are we even bothering with this question when we have a lot of people around us every day that need to hear about Jesus, need to hear the good news of what he's done for us and the life he gave for us on the cross? You're absolutely right. I go back to you know, early comments made earlier about that is that is the goal of the devil to distract us with these open questions, so that as you rightly said, we actually don't go out and proclaim the gospel to the child who's sitting next to us at the dinner table, or as a parent just doing the daily devotions with them and these things. And then not just by doing them, you're going to to somehow bring about their salvation because, oh, you're out doing these things. No, 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 no. It's just what a Christian does. We proclaim the excellencies out of, of, of Christ who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of salvation. And as we have no idea, as we scatter that word, how it grows, we know that it is not our responsibility. At the end of the day, the message of Christ goes out. It is, the, it is the power of God unto salvation, and it alone is the thing that breaks down the strongholds. And to be distracted from that, to be tied up into these open questions, constantly looking, wondering, asking these things, actually hinders the gospel and the proclamation of that gospel. It's like the idea, I was too busy doing good works to worry about uh, my mother. Or it's too busy doing good works to be a good father to my children. Or, you know, these are the things that Luther addresses when he talks about the, the spiritual orders in the small catechism. Do you want to know what it's like to be, uh, to be a good spiritual person, a, a person who really loves their neighbor? Then don't go any further than the commandments on your yeah. father and your mother. Take care of those around you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are are things that are right in front of you every day. You don't need to go out and invent them and look for them. There's plenty of good works to do right in front of you every day. It does not sound like uh, these open questions, according to Francis Pieper, should be given a whole lot of time. It actually seems like he's, based upon your words, encouraging us to guard against those and to do what God has given us to do, to receive his word and therein cling to Christ in faith, 
in baptism, in holy absolution, in the Lord's Supper, and to love one another as he has loved us in Christ. Is that, is that what people are saying? I do believe. He, he even summarizes it this way. One question follows the other in endless succession. Wretched curiosity busies itself about unnecessary and useless things that are neither commanded nor serve any purpose. Thus Satan comes in the back way. People gape with wide open mouth at these things and loose the chief things. Incredible. This has been Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition. I'm your host, Pastor Adam Philippek of Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches in Lidgerwood, North Dakota, filling in for Pastor Brian Wolf Miller today. And would like to thank our guest, Pastor Rob Rebow, for being with us. Thank you so much, Pastor Rebow, for all of your wisdom today. It's a pleasure to be here with Pastor Philippek. I enjoy uh, thinking about and talking about God's Word through uh, the dogmatics of Francis Pieper. There you have it, dear Christian. We are to be busy with the truth. Not to let these open questions distract us, but rather where Christ speaks to us, we are to adhere to, be encouraged by, receive the gifts of salvation from our Lord in His Word and in His sacrament, and then to go out and to continue to love one another as He has loved us in Christ, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ who has called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light of salvation, knowing he is the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord, and in him is our salvation. Until next time, dear saints of the living God, Christ, peace and richest blessings be with you all. At 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.